Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And of course, Cousin Shane, still on vacation. Can't get him on the show. Can't get him to do a clip. Can't get that guy to do anything but relax. But hey, he deserves it. So I reached out first time on the show, Eric Kane, host of the Locked On Vols podcast. The number one daily Tennessee podcast, as well as a big part of the team over there at VolQuest, the number one website for all your Tennessee news and information. So going to have him on the line here in just a minute. Now, it was a very slow day, so I had to get creative once again to kind of have a show topic. And I'm going to do the most impactful transfers for next season, a little mix of overall how good these players are, as well as needs on the teams they're headed to. So we'll get to that in just a second. But, hey, I know Alabama fans, you're sitting on pins and needles. And we'll even talk to uh, Eric a little bit about this as well from the Tennessee side. But uh, real quick, only news around the SEC. Jeremy Pruitt reportedly on campus down there in Tuscaloosa this week. So, Hey, if you're an Alabama fan, you want Jeremy Pruitt back as your defensive coordinator. Signs suggest this is going to happen. Nothing official yet, but Tony Sakalis of the Alabama's rival site is reporting that uh, Jeremy Pruitt has been on campus. And you have to imagine, you know, he's down there interviewing. I don't know how much of an interview he really needs to do with Nick Saban. They know each other so well. But, uh, you know, maybe just getting help on roster management and and things of that nature heading into the spring evaluating the players they got I know Saban loves to bring guys in and have them interview not in front of just him but the entire coaching staff to see how they fit in so I would imagine Pruitt doing some of that down there in Tuscaloosa still awaiting word from the NCAA on his status and as I understand, I didn't realize this. He could be given a show cause by the NCAA, and Alabama could still hire him. Pruitt just can't recruit. <laughs> and, hey, it'd be a weird situation, no doubt, but uh, Alabama's a recruiting machine, greatest recruiter of all time, also the greatest head coach of all time. So it would hurt. It would certainly hurt at times if uh, you're – Defensive coordinator can't go out on the road recruit, but I don't think it would kill Alabama. And I don't know. We don't even know if Jeremy Pruitt is going to get a show cause. So we'll, all that will be determined uh, in the days and weeks to come. But uh, pretty interesting development. Jeremy Pruitt, signs pointing to him making a return to Alabama. We'll, of course, keep you updated with the latest. But before we get to our interview with Eric Kane, an outstanding interview that uh, Tennessee fans will really appreciate. Most impactful transfers next season on the field in the SEC. I tried to hit on as many teams as I could. Tried to hit on the best players, best fits around the SEC. And I'm basically just going to go in order here of the programs that uh, these players are going to. And I'm going first of all with Arkansas linebacker Antonio Greer. They got him from South Florida. He's a two-time All-AAC selection, 
And he missed most of last season. So you, you may be sitting here saying, what the hell? How's this guy going to make an impact with the Razorbacks? Well, he led the team in tackles the two years previous to that. 92 tackles in 2021, close to that number in 2020. Uh, just a tackling machine. And Arkansas really is going to need some help with Drew Sanders off to the NFL. We've got a defensive coordinator in Travis Williams who coaches the linebackers. He was an outstanding linebacker himself at Auburn. So I think the linebacking play has been outstanding for Arkansas the last couple of seasons. Look for that to continue under Travis Williams with Antonio Greer coming in here and filling a big role for the Razorbacks defense. Now, one guy, this guy could be an absolute monster on the plains. I'm going defensive lineman Justin Rogers. He was at Kentucky. Now he's at Auburn. The Tigers really needed to address the line of scrimmage, and they got one of the best players in the country in the portal, I should say, to come down to play for Hugh Freeze. I think Justin Rogers is an, a day one instant impact starter for Auburn. So he's got to be on this list. Could say the same on the other side of the ball. Dylan Wade, offensive lineman, he was the left tackle for Tulsa last season, played under Philip Montgomery, who's now our Auburn offensive coordinator, so he should fit in seamlessly. They need a ton of help on the line of scrimmage, like I said, on both sides of the ball. So I think Dylan Wade, again, another day one starter for the Tigers. He's going to be a big impact player. Florida, got to go. <laughs> we got to pick somebody here to play quarterback. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, a 59% career passer. Over 5,000 passing yards, 38 touchdowns, 26 interceptions. Not convinced that he's going to be your starting quarterback, but I'm kind of taking a leap of faith here and saying he will be. We'll have to see. You know, if you missed it, go back and check out. We just had Will Miles on the show. He anticipates Florida will add another quarterback to the roster at some point this offseason. But uh, we don't know who that will be. We don't even know if, if it will happen. And certainly – they may get a guy with more talent, but they're probably not going to get as a guy that's as experienced as Graham Mertz. He started, I believe, every season that he was at Wisconsin. He was the starter. So I got to put Graham Mertz on this list. He is in position to have a huge impact for the Gators, obviously. Georgia receiver, I've hit this time and time again. Dominic Lovett, I think he's going to kill it down there in Athens. He was one of the best receivers in the SEC last season at Missouri, led the team in catches, receiving yards, scored three touchdowns, and he ended up being number eight in the SEC in total receiving yards. And now with uh, Ra-Ra Thomas, his status unclear after recent arrest, A.D. Mitchell off to Texas. I think Dominic Lovett is outstanding chance. He's your number one pass catcher. Maybe outside of Brock Bowers, of course, down there in Georgia. But uh, this combo, Dominic Lovett, Brock Bowers, should play off each other well. Whoever the next starting quarterback is down there in Georgia, he's going to be damn thankful he got Dominic Lovett on his team. Now, possibly the biggest impact transfer in all the SEC, Kentucky quarterback Devin Leary from NC State, a 60% passer in his career at NC State, 6,807 passing yards during that time, 62 touchdowns, only 16 interceptions. And in 2021, 
a 35 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, that's Hendon Hooker level good right there. So I Devin Leary has got to be on any list like this. Should be the day one starter there for Liam Cohen in that offense at Kentucky. And hey, I'm doubling up on Kentucky. Fans of this show know we love Ray Davis, former Vanderbilt running back. I think he'll slide right into as their next starting running back. Uh, over 1,400 total yards, nine touchdowns in two seasons at Vanderbilt. And the stats don't even say it all because of uh, you know the limited talent they had to work with. He had surrounding him at Vanderbilt, and particularly in the passing game. I mean, defenses knew what was coming. It was Ray Davis. Was, he was going to be a sludge hammer coming down that way. All they had to do was stop Ray Davis, and they could stop Vanderbilt. And more often than not, they failed to do it. And he's got over 3,000 total yards in his career, 20 touchdowns. So Ray Davis, big impact for the Kentucky Wildcats. LSU linebacker Omar Spates from Oregon State, a multi-all Pac-12 selection. Comes to LSU with over 300 career tackles, 25 tackles for loss, five sacks, three interceptions. Put him next to Harold Perkins. Good luck, brother, because you're going to need it. LSU beat out Alabama for Spates to give you an indication of just how well-regarded he is around the country. Another great linebacker headed to the SEC West. Ole Miss linebacker Monty Montgomery from Louisville. Over 160 tackles in his career, 23 and a half tackles for loss, 15 sacks, good God, seven forced fumbles. Pete Golding going to make good use of Monty Montgomery down there. He's one of Louisville's best players. Now he's one of Lane Kiffin's best players. Only kicker on this list. Had to throw a kicker on here. Mississippi State's kicker landed a kicker, Nicholas Barmira from UCLA, and we all know it's been an adventure every time there's a kick down there in Mississippi State the last couple of years. So I had to put this guy on the list. He's 35 of 49 in his career kicking field goals. That's over 71%. He's got a long of 49, so he, he can kick that long ball. Uh, it, this is your kicker, Mississippi State. Hopefully, hopefully this is the guy. We don't have to worry about uh, – Extra points were always an adventure, too. This guy's not 100% for his career. I looked that up, but uh, I think he's missed five or six out of about 150 he's ever kicked. So solid, solid kicker here, Barmira for Mississippi State. Missouri wide receiver Theo Weiss from Oklahoma. You lose Dominic Lovett, you get Theo Weiss. Not a bad trade here. 64 career receptions, over 1,000 yards, and 10 touchdowns. During his time in Oklahoma, I've said it many a time, but when I watched Oklahoma, what limited I did watch of Oklahoma, he was a standout, always making plays, particularly I'm thinking about when Spencer Rattler was the quarterback for Oklahoma. Theo Weiss was a big, big time contributor for the Sooners. One other guy from Missouri, offensive lineman Marcellus Johnson. We recently had Gerard Hamilton from Power Mizzou on the show this week. Go back and check that out if you missed it. But he singled out Marcellus Johnson as a key contributor, arguably the biggest impact transfer that the Tigers landed this offseason. He was a three-year starter at left tackle. Never missed a game in four seasons. He'll slide right in potentially as a left tackle for Missouri next season. They need a ton of help. How about South Carolina tight end 
It's kind of weird saying that. Trey Knox, after multiple seasons at Arkansas, 81 catches, 892 receiving yards, and nine touchdowns during his time with Arkansas. And, of course, he followed Dow Loggins from Arkansas to South Carolina. So he's already familiar with his, uh, not necessarily his position coach, but the scheme and fit with the coaching staff there despite being on a new team. So I think that's going to make him a big-time target for Spencer Rattler, and the Gamecocks lost a couple tight ends, two transfers. So Trey Knox, potentially day one starter for the Gamecocks. How about Tennessee linebacker Keenan Peely from BYU? He was a team captain down there, 191 career tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Tennessee lost Jeremy Banks and Juwan Mitchell to one to the NFL, one to the transfer portal. So there is an opportunity for Peely to come in here, start day one next to Aaron Beasley, who had a huge Orange Bowl. Uh, but Tennessee needs some help at linebacker. I think this Peely will, will step right in to a big-time position, as will offensive lineman John Campbell from Miami. Now he's a Vol. Started all 11 games for Miami at left tackle last season. Uh, he could start at either. Both tackle spots are open at Tennessee. The Vols had to beat out a lot of teams, including a couple SEC teams, to get John Campbell. So that gives you an indication of why I'm so high on him making an immediate impact. And then last but not least, Texas A&M corner Tony Grimes from North Carolina. He didn't quite live up to the five-star billing, but I put that more in the coaching staff at North Carolina. I mean, they're just – Literally, probably the worst defense in the Power Five. Tony Grimes was a day one starter despite reclassifying. So he never really even had a, a senior year of high school, yet he was an instant starter at North Carolina. The Aggies lost four corners this offseason, so there's an opportunity there for Tony Grimes, who's already played in 37 games. This is probably the most experienced corner that jumped into the portal. Now he's a Texas A&M Aggie. I think he's going to be a day one starter for Jimbo Fisher's team. So those are my big impact transfers, and they're probably going to be about three or four more as soon as I, <laughs> as soon as I finish recording here. I'll look down. There'll be three or four more that have come into the SEC. I don't think this portal madness is slowing down any time. I thought the windows was going to slow this down. It sure as hell hasn't. But, hey, enough of me spieling here. Let's kick it over to our interview with Eric Kane from the Locked On Vols podcast and VolQuest. Hey, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Eric Kane. And man, he's killing it. He's the host of the number one Tennessee podcast, the Locked On Vols podcast. And he works for the number one Tennessee website out there, VolQuest. They do football, basketball, baseball, recruiting. They got it covered. Eric, I don't know how you got all this time to do all this <laughs> stuff, but uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Dude, Michael, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for the invitation. And uh, I'm a big fan of the work that you do and you know what you do with a, with a podcast. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. So, obviously, big news here on Rocky Top. Had to get your thoughts. Josh Heupel gets a contract extension. Danny White gets a contract extension. Natural question, who's next on Rocky Top? When is that big, fat payday for Eric Kane coming? <laughs> I was going to say, have you got yours yet? I mean, I got <laughs> I got some people over here that got theirs. It's like everybody's getting paid here lately. 
Um, I will gladly take that money whenever it comes my way. But I mean, what a what an investment for Tennessee. What a statement really from this administration. I mean, there's been so many years and I know you remember this where, you know, obviously Tennessee football was in the dumps, but uh, there was rotating door of presidents or rotating door of athletic directors, rotating door of chancellors. And, you know, for them to all be in alignment right now with with Boyd and Don DePlowman and, of course, Danny White, Josh Heupel. I mean, I think, I think it speaks volumes. And I thought it was really interesting in the contract for Danny White that, uh, you know, he was extended a rolling six year deal starting out at two point two million dollars with a five percent raise every single year. It's a pretty sweet deal. But also, if he were to leave, you know, and go for another job, he would have to pay back 100% of his one-year salary if Dondi Plowman was still the chancellor. If Dondi Plowman was removed from being the chancellor, he would only have to pay 50% back. And I think that, you know, that sends a message saying, hey, you know, if I'm Danny White, I love the direction we're going. I love who I'm working with. I like what's happening right now. So um, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable when you sit back and see what's happening now compared to a couple of years ago. And then, of course, Josh Heupel, you know, I, I know a lot of people are saying nine million dollars is a lot of money. And, and it is, but it's the cost of doing business. Right. I mean, you got Eli Drinkwitz making six point two million. You've got Mark Stoops, who I'm a fan of making eight point seven or whatever. Lane Kiffin making nine million. I mean, it, it's it's cost of doing business. So Josh Heupel's college football's new nine million dollar man. I, I don't know if he would ever have ever imagined himself making that much money, but. It's a testament to the job that he's done and where Tennessee football is right now. Yeah, no doubt. So that leads to my next question, Eric. What Would you put Josh Heupel right now as a top 10 coach in the country, or is he still maybe just on the outside? Because, I don't. I mean, obviously Tennessee fans realize the job he's done, but I don't know if enough people appreciate the fact that the program was just in turmoil. There was people saying Tennessee would not make a bowl game for five years. Yeah. Uh, they up, UCF upgraded, hiring Gus Malzahn. How's that <laughs> going for him? So, uh, you know, he has come a long way. But are you ready to put him into a, a top ten category? Well, I think it's about how you do, how you how you look at at what what you value the individual you know values in a top ten coach. Um, if you're looking for someone who's won championships, no, I mean he's not there. He hasn't won. Um, you know, his division yet. He's not been to Atlanta. Um, you've not won an SEC championship. You've not been to the college football playoffs. And I know it's only been a two year sample size. And I'm not I'm not knocking him because he hasn't been there yet. But I'm just saying there's there's not been a whole lot there. But if you look at the value of work, as you pointed out that he did when he was hired in January of 2021, you had 30 players who had left for the transfer portal. You had all the national investigation. And I mean, Tennessee was a laughing stock. I mean, it, it really was. And they were saying things that you just pointed out, like, you know, Tennessee won't make a bowl year, bowl game for five or six years. And, you know, Tennessee set back 10 to 15 years. Why are they hiring this Josh Heupel guy? He's got a gimmicky offense and he hasn't done it at a high level and all this type of stuff. And and what he did in year one and then flipping that over in a year two has just been it's been incredible. So, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, offensive minds in college football right now, Honestly, developers in college football right now, you know, you, there might be a conversation there. If you look at what you've accomplished so far, he wouldn't be there because it's only been a short sample size. But to go to a New Year's Six Bowl game, 11 win season, knock off two of your, you know, three rivals, um, I, I think he's in the conversation no matter what. But uh, with the $9 million, obviously the pressure is going to be on. And it's going to be intriguing to see what Tennessee looks like with them reloading next year with new quarterback, wide receiver, and a bunch of other spots. So Heupel is currently now signed through January 2029, so that's technically the 2028 season. You got to pick one, Eric. 
will Tennessee win an SEC title between now and in uh, that 2028 season? I mean, that's a long time away, right? I mean, we're just we're upcoming into the 2023 season. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of football to be played between now and then. So I like to look at myself as a half class full guy and not empty guys. So, I mean, I'll say yes. Right. Um, you know, we've been saying this for years, but Alabama will not be Alabama for forever. Right. I mean, George is on this incredible run right now and, you know, doesn't look like it's going to slow down. But, you know, there are some quote-unquote rebuilding years that'll be in there when they win only 10 games and they don't win their division. You know, we've seen that with Alabama a couple of times. Can Tennessee be that team that jumps up there and takes it that one year or, you know, continue to develop and and, and try to turn into what Georgia or Alabama is in the next couple of years? We will see. Um, but I'll say yes. I mean, I just I, – I see the steps that the defense has, you know, taken. You know, I understand the South Carolina game happened, but – the, the steps and the stat sheets and everything with the defense, uh, it's heading in the right direction. And it's tough playing defense against trying to complement this offense. You're on the field for about 90 snaps a game, sometimes over 100 snaps a game. It's it's difficult, but uh, just seeing that and then seeing this offense and the opportunities it creates for its wide receivers and the tight ends. And if you have a quarterback that that is above average, boy, it'll go. And, and that's what Hendon Hooker was. So. Uh, yeah, I'll say Tennessee gets in there and, and you know wins an SEC championship over the next five to six years. Um, I, I think Josh Heupel's got a good vision. I, I like the way he runs his program. He's not perfect. Tennessee's football's not perfect. It can always be better, but I think Josh Heupel's a good coach. Which performance from last season was most impressive to you? There's a lot of candidates. I'm wearing my Jalen Hyatt Gibby Five t-shirt for a reason. <laughs> I mean, that, that Alabama game will, will never be forgotten, so that may be an easy answer, but you got to win in the Orange Bowl over Clemson, who's who's kind of had you under their thumb, even though it's a different league for, for many seasons. Uh, that Kentucky win was was epic. Going down to Bat Rouge just destroying the SEC West champions here. Which which performance from Tennessee last season was the most impressive to you? Man, um I, I think I wrote a I think I wrote a story about this right after the season was over. And um I mean, I had a lot of those that you just mentioned, right? They're top five games, top five moments from this past season. Um, and there's so many to choose from, and that's that's what makes uh, covering this team so much fun this year. I will go this route, though, one you didn't mention. Um, Tennessee knocks off Florida. And not you know within that game, Hendon Hooker, that's when he had his Heisman moments, right? I mean, he had a couple of Heisman moments this season, but I feel like everyone kind of knew who Hendon Hooker was because he's been in college football for like six years but after that game, <laughs> they said, oh, this cat can, you know, th- this cat's going to probably win the Heisman. This cat can, you know, be be a Heisman finalist, right? He had, you know, over 300 yards passing with, I want to say, I can't even remember, maybe two passing touchdowns. He had 115 yards rushing with two rushing touchdowns. And the drive right before half, Tennessee was trailing 14 to 10. There was a little over a minute on the clock, and they had the ball back up on like their own seven or eight. And Hendon Hooker goes down the field, scores right before the half, giving Tennessee the lead over Florida, a team that had beaten them 16 the last 17 times. And I thought that drive in itself and one critical third down play on that drive just showed, hey, I mean, Hendon Hooker is a special guy. So that's probably my top one, that Florida game. And, and you know, specifically that drive right before the half. That drive also, you, you probably remember the Ramel Keaton catch down the sideline. That happened on that drive as well. Um, but that game was fun. And then I would say Baton Rouge. I mean, of course, Alabama. Everyone's going to say Alabama, which, again, it, it's probably doesn't have to even be said here. But the game down in Baton Rouge, I mean, Tennessee got off the bus and had the lead, right? I mean, they were gifted that <laughs> opening muff kickoff. And, 
I mean, just beat the crap out of LSU on the road in SEC play. And you kind of sit there and say, okay, this is what good SEC teams do because this doesn't typically happen. Sure, you might win on the road, but you don't go on the road and just beat the crap out of your opponent. And Tennessee did that in every every area of the game that day. So those are the two, and of course, Alabama, that really stick out for me. Yeah, and credit to the fans down there in, in LSU. They took over that stadium unlike uh, anything I had seen from, from Tennessee in quite a while. You know, it looked like, uh, when these SEC schools go to Notre Dame or or some lower level and they just took it over, so that, that was impressive from the fans. Yeah. And you hit on you hit on this. I hate to bring up. I mean, I don't think Tennessee us Tennessee people will ever get over this. But Hendon Hooker, not even a Heisman finalist. Can you yeah. can you still believe that that happened? Because like you said, I mean, for about two two thirds of the season, he was a lock to win it. Yeah. Um, it was it was disappointing to say the least. And um, you know, you're you cover this program, you're around these players, you kind of get to know them a little bit. And I mean, everything you hear about the person that Hendon Hooker is, I mean, from my experiences, it's you know spot on. He's the nicest stand-up guy, he's a leader, he's quiet, but when he speaks, um, you know, everybody listens. And he's a baller, right? And he bought out this year. And I mean, I'm obviously we don't have time to go through and look at where he ranked in every statistical category and you know, advanced metrics and all that. But I mean, he was up there, right? I mean he had all those ranked wins and performances against top 10 defenses and passer ratings and touchdowns and, you know, all that touchdowns to interception ratio was through the roof. Um, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away. And I know your audience, you know, is, is across the SEC. So I'm going to I'm going to make a lot of people mad by saying this. I'm not trying to take anything away from Stetson Bennett because, I mean, that dude is a college football legend. You know, if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're a Alabama fan, if you're whatever fan you are, you got to recognize that guy's a college football legend. But. He had no business, in my opinion, being a being a Heisman finalist. Max Duggan was uh, fantastic, but I don't know, you know, it, it, when you splitting hairs here between him and Hinton and Hooker, I don't know if he should have been there. It was almost like they took the three college football playoff quarterbacks and then, you know, the odds on favorite and Caleb Williams and said, all right, let's go. So that was a little disappointing um, for sure. All of those players are fantastic players, but I think Hinton Hooker, without a doubt, should have been there. Would he have won it? No, I, I don't think he would have won it. Uh, could you make a case for him? Absolutely. But he should have been there in New York. And not, it was kind of disappointing to see his season in that way, obviously getting hurt and and not getting that recognition. But it uh, doesn't take anything away from people who follow this program and who are obviously fans of Tennessee. Well, I mean, Hendon Hooker's obviously got big, you know, the, there's big shoes to fill there. Joe Milton, he's a big old man. So, I mean, no. if anybody could do it, there, he had plenty of doubters. He comes out here. He didn't have to do much against Vanderbilt. They just destroyed them. But, uh, you know, the real test was Clemson, and he made several critical plays, particularly in the red zone. I think of, I think that was the most impressive thing I saw from Joe Milton was execution in the red zone. What's your confidence level? I think it would be unrealistic to expect Tennessee to be as good on offense, but but what's your confidence level that Joe Milton can keep this high-flying scoring and, and maybe Tennessee can – if they don't lead the SEC, you know, be a top three scoring offense in the league next season with Joe Milton as a starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee continues to break offensive records the first two years with Josh Heupel, and, and some of those they set last year and broke again this year. And so, I mean, that that typically is not going to happen every single year, right? I mean, records are records for a reason. You're not going to lead the SEC in offense and scoring and lead the nation in, in scoring and total offense every single year. Uh, but I do think that he's in position to be successful. Um, obviously, the system um, is one thing, and it gives a lot of opportunities for quarterbacks who can process information at a fast clip, and that's why Hendon Hooker was so good, one of many reasons. Uh, Joe Milton is now entering his third year in the program, so 
Um, you know, he's been around Josh Heupel. He's been around Joey Halsey. Um, he's been in this system for going on three years now. So he's a veteran in the system. He knows how to operate it. Um, my confidence in Joe Milton is higher than it was before the Orange Bowl. I'll say that uh, because, I mean, outside of some mop-up duty games, all we had of, of Joe Milton was a game against Bowling Green and, and two quarters against Pittsburgh. And it, he didn't look very sharp in terms of his execution on down the field throwing. And really, even in that Vanderbilt game, he didn't look too crisp. But, I mean, again, that was a game where you know Tennessee was just out in front from the get-go. So, no, we'll see. He's got all the tools possibly um, that you want in a quarterback. He's big. He has the strongest arm in America. Um, I think he's smart. I think he does process information to good clip. Can he make the right decisions when when pressure's bearing down on him? He did that a couple of times in the Orange Bowl. So, no, we'll see. Um, it, Joe Milton is not Hendon Hooker. They're going to have to tailor some things a little bit more towards his, his skill set, which I think is more the – um, I mean, he can throw it a mile, but I think Joe really thrives in the intermediate passing game down the field, anywhere from seven to, to 15 yards from sideline to sideline. And you saw a little bit more of that in the Orange Bowl as well. And so, but he made some good decisions. He, uh, you, where you reference him in the red zone, and there was one to scroll wide in the back of the end zone where he was sitting in the pocket and he had pressure coming off the left side. He stepped up and then just threw a dart, you know, back there towards the, the end of the end zone there on the slant and found squirrel wide. And, that looked really, really good. So uh, Tennessee's in a good position. They do to have a a six year quarterback in Joe Milton, third year in the system. Um, you know, has first round talent. Right, he just needs to put it together and play consistent. And um, you know, we'll, he'll get the first crack at it likely. And if not, everybody will be chanting for Nico. <laughs> well, I'm glad you went there because uh, I'm sure it's already started for you, Eric. But uh, be prepared the next you know year, two years, every interview like this you you're going to do. People are going to ask you about Nico. Yeah. If I had to ask, uh, you know, next season, we, we just said all the all the good things about Joe Milton, and I, I think Tennessee would prefer him to be the starter, have an excellent season, transition to Nico, but it doesn't always play out that way. If you had to bet right now over under one and a half starts for Nico next season, where would you go? And and I, I realize information is limited at this point. It's probably a, a better question exiting the spring, but where would you go right now with that question? Hmm. Well, you know, that's obviously Joe's got to play well and keep his job and perform well. Uh, injury is always a thing. I mean, you know, this is a physical game. And so you know, there were points in times where we didn't know if Hendon Hooker was going to make his next start over the past two years. And of course, he rolled out there, unfortunately, until the uh, ACL injury. Uh, one and a half starts. Uh, you know, for right now, I'll go under. Um, again, I, I'm looking at this half glass full, and <laughs> some fans are like, "Well, no, I want Nico." Um, you kind of said it there. I think Tennessee wants it to be Joe Milton. Um, I think I think Nico's camp wants it to be Joe Milton. I mean, so many times we see guys get in there in college football and in the NFL, and they're just rushing there too soon, and you know they get um they get beat around a little bit, and it sticks with them for so long. Instead, they should be holding the clipboard, being a sponge developing every single day in practice and some of those JV games that they have them, you know, whatever the case may be. And I, I think that would be best for Nico. He's got such quick twitch. He's got his arm strength is incredible. Um, he's, he's pretty thick, uh, you know, lower half of his body, but he's got to put on some weight. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I think he's smart enough to excel in this league. So excited to see what Nico can do. Um, but right now I'll say under, I'll say, uh, I mean, I, it's, you know, Joe Milton, I think would have to, you know, really just play poorly consistently to lose that job, in my opinion. And even then, is, is Nico ready to go into the game? Uh, but right now, he would have to because Tennessee only has two scholarship quarterbacks. 
Looking at uh, next season's schedule, Eric, could you make the case that Florida on the road in Gainesville, house of horrors for them Vols, do you think that you could, could you make the case that's the biggest game of the schedule? I mean, I, I realize Georgia uh, coming to Knoxville, you could certainly make a case for that at Alabama, at Kentucky. You never quite know what you're getting from the Wildcats. But to me, that Florida game, because you you got Florida under your thumb right now, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that if Florida beat you in one of the best home fields that that Florida's a better program than you now, but this would be a real, real opportunity for Hypo to to, to kind of just turn the tide, so to speak, in that series. What what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a monster game and it's early, of course. You know, Tennessee and Florida always play early, so it can really set the tone for your season, you know. Um and and you you just got the monkey off your back. You just beat Florida at home, and of course, it was never easy after after leading by like seventeen points in the fourth quarter with I think five minutes to go. You know, they came back and only won by four. Uh, but you can really kind of gain some separation in this rivalry, if you will. You know, with a win on the road uh, in Gainesville, because you know down there in the swamp, as you pointed out, it's a great home field environment. You know, that roster still got a whole lot of talent on there. They went out and got you know Mertz to be their quarterback for this year, and of course, the whole. Rashad ordeal he's not going to be there but um now I think that'll be a, a really good opportunity for Tennessee you know with this roster it has now with Joe Milton leading them to go down there and pick up a win uh, the Georgia game will be huge obviously because potentially that could be playing for the east once again just like it was this past season because Georgia you know even though it's got to reload the quarterback position and, and a lot of other spots I mean it lost a whole lot of first round talent on last year's squad and it went right back and won a national title so that's going to be a a good team for sure. So, but I'm with you. I, I would say, I would say Florida uh, on the road. Um, you know, it's staying, staying with the the win from this past year, getting another one over your rival. I think it'd do wonders for this program and for the trajectory of the season moving forward after that. All right, last thing for you, Eric. Really appreciate all your time, Jeremy Pruitt. If he gets the job at <laughs> Alabama's defensive coordinator, which it kind of seems like that is going to happen. What would the reaction be of Vol Nation? And I can only imagine the message boards over there at VolQuest should that happen. I mean, it wouldn't be great, right? I mean, there'd be some fans that are saying, what, he's not allowed to coach in college football? He shouldn't be allowed to, you know? Uh, don't ever allow him to coach again. Then others would be like, well, yeah, let him go down there. We'll hang 50 on him. Uh, it'd be it'd be interesting. Uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was not a good head football coach here. That's, that, that's for sure. But Jeremy Pruitt's a really good defensive mind, and – I mean, he excelled at Alabama with given the players in the roster. He excelled at Georgia. He excelled at Florida State. Um, that'd be a that, that'd be a pretty pretty good move for Nick Saban um, if he can you know finagle through all the NCAA webs to get a guy like that back as his DC after Pete Golding left for Ole Miss. So we'll see what happens. But obviously, Tennessee fans would uh, would not be happy. They'd be ready to hang like I said, fifty on them. And I think there'd be some confidence there again because of what this offense is. Everybody you have, despite losing some of those players. Everybody you have coming back and 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 the firepower that's still here on this team, I think there'd be a lot of excitement to go down there and just try to make Jeremy Pruitt look awful because fans will never forgive him for the way it, it ended here. And, of course, the three years he was here, there wasn't a lot of high moments. All right, before you go, Eric, can you tell the audience where's the best place to find all your work? Where can they find the Locked on Vols podcast? Yeah, Locked on Vols every single morning when you wake up, about 30 minutes of Tennessee football action. It's on YouTube. It's wherever you find your podcast, your um, audio podcast, Apple podcast, all that good stuff. And, and you can check out my written work at VolQuest.com and all of my work in Twitter at, at uh, following the underscore Kaner handle, underscore Kaner. 
and I'll put a link to all that in the show notes. All right, so I just want to say thanks again, Eric, for joining the show first time on the show. What a terrific interview. Going to have him back, and I believe uh, I'm going to be on his show at some point in time, so be on the lookout for that. Links to all of Eric's work can be found in the show notes. I really, really appreciate that fun interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. But hey, that's going to do it for this week's shows. Doing my best to keep the content fresh, keeping you guys up to date around the SEC. All we ask is a review, subscribe, all that jazz. Spread the word. Without you guys, there isn't a show. And hopefully we get Cousin Shane back on this podcast before long stay tuned as long as there's stuff as long as there's sec football to talk about we're gonna keep coming at you but that'll do it for this week we'll catch you on the next one This beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.